Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. For almost 45 years, Karen Allen has been acting, directing, creating, winning awards, and winning our hearts. She has starred in such American classics as The Glass Menagerie, directed by Paul Newman, cult classics, Scrooged, and she has helped create iconic films as classics with the Indiana Jones series. I could not be more excited than to welcome Karen Allen to the Storyteller's Microphone. Karen, Uh, welcome. Thank you so much, Grace. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. There's so much to talk about, but I'd like to start out with why live your life as a storyteller? You know, I, I don't even, uh, I've always loved to be told stories. Certainly. I loved reading when I was a kid. Um, I was very profoundly moved and changed by things I read. Um, what I think what drew me to telling stories was the theater. And I was drawn to the theater, you know, late in life uh, compared to a lot of other actors I know who, you know, were more drawn in as children or as adolescents or did theater in school and stuff. I, I never had any interest when I was in school. Um, and I just, I, I just, you know, for me, I thought the people in the theater programs were just way too extroverted. <laughs> just, just like, I just was intimidated by them. And um, so I never auditioned for a play or ever. I, I didn't even go to see the plays that in, in school. So my first introduction to the theater was when I moved to New York when I was 17 to go to school. And I was taken to see a play there. But it was really a play that I saw when I was about... 21 or two and living in Washington, D.C., I was taken to see a play. We actually went to Philadelphia to see it. And it was, unbeknownst to me, by the most famous theater company in the world, directed by who at the time was one of the most celebrated directors who had just come out with a book called Towards a Poor Theater. And um, it was extraordinary actors that he called, this director called Acrobats of the Soul. And um, I sat and watched this performance and I literally went in one person and came out a different person. And that person wanted to understand how these people who spoke completely in Polish now, I didn't understand a single word they said for two hours. And yet I was transported into the world and the story that they were telling. And it sort of transcended language. And um, there was something so profound about that experience to me that within a couple of weeks, I was studying acting and my whole life kind of turned on this little corner after seeing this play. So I never looked back. I just went right working in the theater. And at that point, I, I became ravenous for plays. I had never really read plays in my life. And I would just start, I would, somebody would mention a playwright who I, maybe I had heard their name in passing, but whose work I didn't know. And I just would start to read every single play they'd ever written. And I did that with a lot of the playwrights. I just self-educated for the next few years, just reading plays, reading plays, reading plays. And 
trying to get to understand the landscape of the world I was entering, which is a completely a storytelling world. Um, that may be the best ever answer to that question. <laughs> I love it. So you, you got transported. Um, you've done stage and screen. Do you have a love one above the other? They're such different experiences. They are such different experiences. I, I think that when I do a play, because you are telling the whole story and you're in front of a live audience, it is, I just finished doing a play. So I've had this experience now, you know, for the last three months of working on this play and being in front of an audience. And there's nothing like it, really. It, it's, it's, uh, you know, people sometimes say, how do you get a story night after night and things like that? It's not the same. It's different every time you do it. And you're discovering new things and you're a little different as, you know, as the days go by and your partners or partner, in this case, it, I just, it was one other actor in the play with me. But, you know, we were, we did the play for six weeks and it never felt like a single performance was like any other we had done before. And uh, and yet, you know, we still had an audience and it was still the same play. We're still telling the same story, but we were growing into the characters and into the their, their experiences and their relationship with each other, you know, night after night after night. And, and so I, I think for an actor, you know, if you if you like working in the theater, I mean, some actors who I know who are quite accomplished in film and television, they've never done a play on stage. I started out on the stage and I sort of, even though I, I remember in the beginning being very, I had a lot of stage fright that I had to overcome. But I mean, once I really overcame the lion's share of that, it was just such a glorious experience. And so I think that's more of an, it's, if I had to choose between them, which I would never want to do, but I have to say the experience for an actor of doing a play is, can be, not always, I suppose, but can be a much more profound experience than, you know, you work in a film and it's all chopped up and you do a scene a few times and then you move on and it can be one of the most, profound scenes in in the in the uh in the film and yet you know you shoot it on the third day and then you never come back to it so it's a different way of working a different way of approaching the material and and um there isn't that you don't have the luxury of you know repeating it time after time after time uh, do you miss do you miss your film characters differently than you miss the characters that you play on screen because of that intimacy? I know in my writing, I miss my characters when I'm yeah. done with them. Well, I'm incredibly missing the character I just played in, in Lunar Eclipse, which is Donald Margulies' new play. Her name is M. And um, I've had a real, real dif difficult time letting go. And we hope we're going to do it again. So I don't want to let go too much. But um, uh, Yes, I, I, I find I miss, you spend so much time with the characters when you, you do a play. And that's not to say, I mean, there have been some characters on film that I think I really have missed when we, when we finished. You, it, you then have a whole nother experience later on. 
I mean, there is something very ephemeral about theater. You know, once you once you do your last performance, it it doesn't exist anymore. It only existed in that moment. The thing about film is you play a character 40 years ago, and that character lives on and lives on in generations. In some cases, if you're lucky with a film, say like Raiders of the Lost Ark, that character lives on for, for years and years and years, and people continue to respond to it, and you continue to get people coming up to you and saying, I just showed my son, you know, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time, or I just showed my daughter, whatever. And and there's and there's there's this longer life, and there's a concrete thing that is called a film, which people, which you know, you can you can see again and again, which is unlike the theater, you know. I, I get that so well. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, the other day just about the privilege of getting to have you on the show. And she was like, oh, I know her. I spend every Christmas with her. We always uh, watch Scrooge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Perfect example, you know. A, a perfect example. You well, we were the those characters behind. They follow you, you know. <laughs> Thank you. For the rest of your life, for better or for worse. <laughs> when we were in the green room, you said you were very picky about picking a character to play. Could yeah. you talk a little bit about that process? And then I'm going to ask the same question about the directing side of the house, about how is that different for you? Well, you know, uh, particularly in the theater, you have to, you're spending a lot of time with that character, um, you know, eight hours a day, every day when you're rehearsing, and then you go home and you spend more time, you know, you're working on the lines and the scenes and you're delving in and you're asking a lot of questions and and you do the same in film kind of a lot as 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 you know uh, uh preparation and then continue to do it throughout the film but there is this sort of sense of uh not holding on to things. You don't hold, you know, you, you can't really hold on to scenes that you've already played in the last two or three weeks or months. You've got a whole new group of things you have to learn the next day. And, and e even, even things like your locations and where you're shooting, all of that in film, it's very temporary. You know, a, a, on the stage, you're, you really, you're, you're in a, on a set that has been created and you return to that set every single time. In film, you, you might do a very important scene in a plaza in a city somewhere, and then you never go back there again. So, so there is this ongoing um, letting go, letting go of things as, as you uh, uh, finish doing them. But Yes, I. There are characters. There are characters to this day. I mean, there's a character I I played. Um, I played Helen Keller as an adult, and I did that play for about a year and a half. We were at the Kennedy Center in Washington, and and um, I had to really delve into the reality of a person who could neither hear or see, and what her world was like. And then I had to get on stage night after night and portray her. And um, I feel like I really, I learned so much. I mean, I was sort of a changed person by that experience. Um, so, you know, some characters just stay with you like through your life. They're, it's like they become like a part of you. Um, so, yeah. Do you, do you pick those characters? What, how do you go about picking a role then? Is 
because you've played real people like Helen Keller, Krista McAuliffe. How do you decide on a role? I have certain questions that I ask myself as I'm reading a script and doing, you know, some early research, maybe before I've said yes or no. And, and those questions are, I think one of the main ones is, is there something that I feel like I can bring to this character that would be unique? You know, it, do I have a connection on some level, whether it's fully conscious or unconscious, doesn't really matter. Um, it's, I don't know, it's its like a moth to the flame. You know, you, I read something and I feel like I really, I don't even necessarily always understand why, but I feel like I really need to play this role. It would be an honor, a privilege to step into this person's shoes. And sometimes there can be something very familiar about the character, something I recognize, something I feel like I really know that maybe has gone unexpressed in my own life. Or sometimes I feel like the character is very, very far away from my experience, but I, I, I'm very interested in what that experience is. And then I'll read other characters and I just feel like it's, it's just not for me. I can admire the writing. I can admire the storytelling. I can love who's directing it and who else is in it. But I just feel like, you know, if, if I can step out for a second and be a director or a casting director, I would think I wouldn't cast me in this role. <laughs> I, okay. I just wouldn't because I just know that there's somebody else out there that could connect with this character more than I'm going to be able to connect with the character. And I guess that's what I'm looking for. There is some sort of, some resonance. I'm looking for some sort of real understanding of, of, of who this person is. Even if I don't have the understanding, then it's like a yearning to understand. Um, so, so that's the, that, that, understanding that feeling connected is it the same thing when you choose to direct something because i know far less about your directing than i do your acting well i'm i'm like really picky when i direct something maybe even more so than as an actor and i have knock wood had the good fortune to work with artistic directors at theaters who have you know some directors they only direct things that people hand to them you know that that maybe they have not ever had any previous interest in. Um, I am such a reader of plays that I very often, at any given time, there are 20 plays I feel like I would love to direct. And um, so I will often sit with an artistic director and say, you know, here are 10 plays I would love to do or any of these ones that interest you. And that's how I've gone about directing all but a, just one play maybe that was sort of given to me, but I knew the playwright quite well. And, um, and I, it was a new play. So I, I, I didn't uh, know the play, but um, yeah, I think as a director, you have to not only love your character, but you have to love the story that you're telling and you have to feel like it's a worthy story to tell an audience. Like why, I guess my, my question often is why tell an audience this story? What, you know, and, and I very often feel like 
the theater is sort of a gift. You know, you, you want to find something that gives a gift to the audience. Um, I see a lot of plays, you know, where I just walk out and I think, gee, that was like being at a bad party. Oh. You know, I didn't I didn't meet anybody I would ever want to like run into. <laughs> You know, and, and I don't want to direct those kind of plays. I want to direct plays that really have a, almost like a life-changing experience. And that's what I look to the theater for, honestly. I don't really go to the theater looking to be entertained per se. That's not to say that I mind being entertained some of the time in the theater. I love to laugh in the theater and I love, I love comedies, but at the same time, I'm looking for something more underneath all of that. I, I really want, I want, you know, I, I mean, the phrase I always use is I want it to rock my world. I want to leave the theater. It goes back to maybe that first experience I had. I want to leave the theater feeling that something in me has grown or shifted or changed, or I've become more aware of something in myself or in the world, or I want to, I want to leave with something. I don't want to leave empty handed from an experience in the theater. And so I feel that as a director, I don't want to, the audience to leave empty handed. I, I don't want them to think, oh, well, that was a nice bowl of ice cream. <laughs> I want them to have the real, the real full meal, nourishing, interesting, complex meal. Um, well, you have done so many different types of roles over your career and a quite honestly quite a long career how have you seen i was going to ask you how have you seen hollywood change but i'll have a different question than that now it's how have you seen the industry change since you first burst onto it with animal house um i i think you know the the first thing that comes to my mind is there are more women involved in in all kinds of key ways which is, I think, you know, when I did uh, Animal House, certainly when I did Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think on Raiders of the Lost Ark, I was one of, you know, a handful of women involved. I mean, I think I was one of the, I was the only sort of main character in the film that was female. There were, was one other, Sala's wife, I think was the only, and she's on, you know, screen for a few minutes. Um, uh, and then, you know, then you extend that out to the crew. And I think on the crew, there were maybe two or three women in a crew of 120 men or so. So that has changed quite a bit. I mean, I, I see a lot more women, a lot more roles, both in, in the crew as writers, directors, as producers, in all, all across the board, in, in key positions, cinematographers, uh, production designers uh, that were always, uh, you know, given to men. And um, so that's been very, it, you know, it feels, it feels much more healthy, much more balanced, much more, uh, you know, uh, uh, as it should be, you know, where I think it always felt a little unbalanced and it was a little, you know, you felt like, you know, you had to be as an actress, you had to be one of the guys, you know, just <laughs> to try to fit into that whole, that whole sure. world. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I love that aspect. I love the aspect that I feel like there are more female-driven films, more stories that represent my own experience of life and of the world. And um, so that 
I, that feels great just for me as a person watching watching films, you know, to not to not have everything be so about a ma very masculine world uh, or a masculine dominated world. And and so it makes me a much more enthusiastic film watcher. Um, I think I was drawn initially to European films much more than to American films, like as a young person in my, you know, college age and, and on up, because for that very reason, I felt like there were a lot more films about women and with women who had very complex lives and experiences. And um, American films seemed very kind of macho and male dominated in the in the 60s. Uh, 50s, certainly. Um, and then I, of course, grew up on a lot of the 30s and 40s films that were on television when I was growing up. And it's interesting because, you know, there were some very strong women in those films, you know, Catherine Hepburn and, and uh, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. And, you know, they were strong women who could carry films. And then we went into a weird period there for a while where, you know, women were kind of the sidebar. Um, uh, and the, and they were kind of over feminized or or something, um, but so so the uh, emphasis on women I think is something we can all celebrate. And the only reason you and I are actually able to talk today and tape today <laughs> is because thankfully the Screen Actors Guild um, yes, strike yes. has just been settled. Thank goodness. Um, and AI and streaming uh, things that could not have been even on anyone's radar when you first came to the industry. Right. How do you see those elements changing the very short term of what we'll be seeing on film? You know, it's not really my, it's not an area of interest so much for me. The, In fact, I even find CGI like, do I have to watch another film that's mostly CGI? Uh, I, I avoid it. I avoid them. I'm pretty. I like I like stories about human beings. I like stories where people talk or try to talk or struggle with real human issues. I can't say that I'm a fan of you know uh, people in weird costumes flying around a room it just doesn't really i mean i understand they're they're entertaining i suppose but they're, they're they don't have much for me in them um I, I i i try to not even take the time to watch them i mean sometimes i i have to watch them um as a just a part of you know my profession um because i'm in the academy and i i i really commit to watching as many of the films in the course of a year as i possibly can but it's not my favorite um you know the whole ai thing wh where it's going to go and how it's going to be used i think remains to be seen you know the last indiana jones film i i just did dial of destiny they age harrison back um you know 30 years or, or something. And it's very well done. Uh, I think there's been some films where it's been awkwardly done in the, in the past, but they, they found a way to do it. That was really remarkable. And, and the CGI I have to say in this film is fantastic. It's it often what I feel when I look at CGI, uh, uh, which is for anybody who doesn't know computer generated graphics, um, um, or imagery or whatever the I stands for. But, um, you know, it's kind of old 
calculated to me. I never feel like there's any real risk. You know, like you, you, you somehow you're you just instinctively know you're watching something that's not really happening in 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 the way of you know is this really taking place? And you, you, something in your eye or in your sense, sensory perception in some way knows it's not real, and therefore it's hard to get very involved in it. Um, I, I think it's starting to improve. At least I remember feeling when I watched this latest Indiana Jones film, uh, it, it was quite extraordinary. I felt a lot of jeopardy for characters who I think were not in jeopardy at all, um, or actors who were not in jeopardy at all. Um, and, and that's tough to do. And, and maybe they're starting to get better at it, um, figuring that part of it out. But it's not... It, it's not a part of my fascination with film. Um, you know, uh, even I, I made a little film called A Tree of Rock a Cloud, a little story that takes place in a cafe with a older man and a young boy. It's a kind of passing of wisdom. He, he tells him about the nature of love. It's a beautiful little Carson McCullers story, um, short story. And, and, you know, we had to use some computer generated graphics for that. We just to put it in the time period it was, it was in. Um, so I, it's a beautiful tool to use in film, but when it becomes really the whole film, <laughs> it sort of lo loses me. I'm like I'm five minutes in and I'm just like, <laughs> when will this be over? <laughs> uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned that you're part of the Academy. Um, I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to ask, uh, what does that mean as an actor for you? You watch the films. What are the nuts and bolts of that, if you could? Well, there's there's a, a lot of nuts and bolts of it. The, the way right now in my life that I get most involved with it is um, I often volunteer to look at, so every year, um, every country in the world that wants to submit a film for consideration, um, and it's usually a, between 90 and 95 uh, countries, um, they submit a film and I, I volunteer for the group of people that watch. Now, I don't have to watch all 90 films. I'm assigned a certain number of films and I could watch all 90 films if I had the time. I, 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 so far it hasn't happened that I could find the time. I think maybe 35 is as far as I've gone. So I can vote on those 35. They're, they're looking to go from the 92 to what's called the shortlist, which is 15 films. And then from 15, you watch all, all 15, and then it goes to the five that are nominated. And so that's a real privilege. I love doing that. I feel like when, when I dive in and watch as many of those films as I can, not only do I feel like I'm learning a lot about the world, because sometimes they're documentaries, sometimes they're narrative uh, films, uh, sometimes they're animated films. Um, but I, I feel like I, I've, I've gone on a, a, a journey all over the world and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, learning so much. And I feel like here in this country, in the U.S., we're, we're really deprived of foreign films. When I was growing up, I, you know, in my 20s, um, there used to be, I used to go to see lots of foreign films. 
now we're kind of hard pressed. You know, all the theaters went into these cineplex things, and they were all somehow tied to showing a certain type of film. And I feel like we, we've really been very deprived of some of the great films that have been made. Um, so that's a, a part, uh, that's how I love to participate. And then I, I also participate in terms of trying to watch as many of the films that are come, come through for best picture. And there's often, as many as 250 of those films. And, and there, some of them are indie films, documentary films, uh, all kinds of narrative films, um, and in, including the biggest uh, you know, studio films as well. And, and I love getting, you know, getting involved in that process too, of just looking at those films. And, and um, uh, I, I feel you know, like, like it, is, it is one of the important things about being a member of, of, of the Academy is that you take all of that you know, as seriously as you possibly can. Sometimes you know, if, you're, if you're working, 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 it's hard to really you know, see as many of them as you, as, as you would like to, but. And you are working, working, working. You're <laughs> stage, screen, directing. You are an avid, uh, I want to say textile artist. Is that the yeah, best yeah. way to say it? Yeah. So talk a little bit about, because I have never heard of a Japanese knitting machine and you have your own company. I do. So when, when I went to school in New York, when I was 17, I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology and I studied design. And I think back then they did not have a knitwear program. And I had, my grandmother who I adored taught me to knit when I was three or four years old. And she was an avid, avid knitter. She was just always knitting things, always making things. And she would give them to charities. And, and I just loved to kind of be around her and she would just be, you know, making things all the time. And um, so I grew up also knitting quite a bit by hand, but I, I got to a point where, um, the things I wanted to do, they were just all taking so long for me to, to accomplish them. And I finally went back to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York uh, in the early 2000s. And I just studied, they did have a knitwear program by then, and they had a lot of different kinds of knitting machines there. And one of them are these beautiful Japanese knitting machines. And I started to work on those. Uh, they're they're amazing machines and and a little complicated to learn. I have a cat right here. <laughs> We're happy to welcome your cat to the show as well. <laughs> she wants to get into the picture, so to speak. <laughs> um, anyway, um, uh, I started working on those and um, I just fell in love with them. And I fell in love with the, all the possibilities. I feel like had I started working on them when I was 10 years old, and if I lived to be 90, I would just be scratching the surface of what you can do with them. And I, I work in a certain little corridor, a little area of what they can do, and I sort of tease that out a lot. And I use them in a very unorthodox way. So the, 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 the kind of main master of this machine who lives in uh, uh, Minnesota 
he said to me, oh, you, you can't use the machine that way. And I said, no, no, you can. Actually, I'm going to send you things I'm making. And, and I sent him some and he was like, oh, my God, I've worked on these machines my whole life and I didn't know you could do that with these. So I started using them in ways that normally they aren't used. And I've been able to do things with them. So I work with very, very fine cashmere yarns that you buy. I get them from Scotland and Italy mostly. You buy them on a kilo cone and thread them up through the machine. And I work with a lot of different colors at once. And I blend colors by putting two different threads in one feed. And I sometimes work with 12 or 14 different feeds in, in one piece of fabric. And I make hats and scarves and gloves and sweaters and all different kinds of things. And I, it's a real joyful thing to do. And it's the opposite of, of working as an actor or a director, which is a very collaborative thing to do. So you can't really act or direct until, you know, someone, first of all, gives you the permission to do it. You get hired or you get, um, you know, brought into a project. And, and with, with something like this, I'm completely free as a, as a, creator as a designer um I, I can work whenever i want to work for as long as i want to work and i work alone which is is really fantastic because it just allows me to focus in and do things the way i want to do them i love that empty space kind of feeling of you know out of out of you know it's it must be like a writer you know sitting with a pen a blank page you know me, I walk into my studio and it's like that. I'm surrounded by color and I have these knitting machines there and I can do anything I want to do. So the question becomes, what do you want to do? <laughs> like, what colors do you want to work with? What, do you, what kind of design do you want to play with? And um, I find it very, very um, satisfying and, and fun and people seem to love what I make. So, um, you know, I just keep doing it now. I've been doing it now for 20 years. So is there a place people can see uh, what you make or perhaps yeah, purchase yeah, what yeah. you make? I have a store which is in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Um, it's on Railroad Street in Great Barrington. And I, there's also a website and on our store's website, there's a little button you can click on that says Karen Allen Cashmere because we carry about 90 other designers from all over the world. So I handpick who I think are just among the greatest textile designers in the world. And mostly it's clothing, like textile designers who use that, um, their approach to make clothing. We don't do very many, I don't have abstract wall hanging kind of textile stuff. Um, so the website is? It's Karen Allen Fiber Arts. Um, dot com, I guess. Yes. Wonderful. Karen Allen Fiber Arts. Karen Allen Dash. Dot com. That's what it is. I, I don't go on it very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, Karen, I can't believe how the time has gone. Okay. I have so many more things I would love to talk with you about. I want to thank you for being on our microphone and thank you for the gift you have given. Oh, your... thank you so much. That means a lot. Well, it means a lot to have you here and good luck, safe travels. I know you're off to England soon to do some work there. And then am I right back to direct a film? Yes. I mean, we won't do, I mean, I'm back to see the first draft of the screenplay, which is just being finished. And um, uh, it'll be, you know, these things take time. It'll be, I think a year 
and some change before we actually get into pre-production for it because it's it's a it's a process but um uh, well we we yeah. look forward to many more years of Thank karen you. allen karen Thank thanks you. for being with me okay my pleasure this has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.